You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. How are physicians using a new, minimally invasive technology to stage lung cancer and diagnose other lung masses? Joining us to discuss endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration is Dr. Andrew Haas, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care Division at the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Haas. I'm happy to join you today. Now, when I think about a bronchoscopy, I think you're looking, you're getting a exact visualization. What advantages are there to incorporate ultrasound, and how is this done? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So for the period of time that bronchoscopy has been around, when flexible bronchoscopy initially was invented and introduced into the United States, it was in the late 1960s. And from that period of time, really until approximately two to three years ago, bronchoscopy occurred just as you mentioned it. So you basically have your light and your camera on the end of your scope, you drive through the airways, and using CT scans and other imaging modalities, we try to make an educated guess in many respects as to where the abnormalities are that we wish to biopsy. Mm -hmm. And particularly when we're talking about transbronchial needle aspirations, it's the lymph nodes and or masses that are adjacent to the main airways. And so you could imagine, as I like to explain it to my patients, a bronchoscopy is kind of like having a scope in the middle of a garden hose. We put the Mm -hmm. scope inside, but we can't see anything outside. And that's kind of how we would do bronchoscopy before ultrasound. Mm -hmm. However, with the advent of developing ultrasound, It's very similar to the fact of, um, once again, as I explained to my patients, when a woman is pregnant, you can't see the fetus in her abdomen. However, you put the ultrasound on her belly, you can see everything. Mm -hmm. So when we have the ultrasound probe in the airway, we place the ultrasound probe adjacent or right against the airway, and now we can see all the lymph nodes, we can see the blood vessels, we can see the lung parenchyma, we can see the entire anatomy of the chest, and then utilizing that visualization, then advance a needle through the airway wall directly into the lymph node, while at the same time avoiding all of the major blood vessels, avoiding other structures in the chest that you may not wish to stick the needle into. Before Mm. ultrasound, as I mentioned, when you're just doing CT guidance, you basically did this somewhat blindly. And there was not infrequently where you would stick a major blood vessel and have bleeding. And while the bleeding was never often a major complication, it certainly has been reported that without ultrasound guidance, that major bleeding and complications could occur related mm-hmm. to blind needle aspirations. Boy, that certainly makes sense. And would this cut down on the number of biopsies that you would do prior to ultrasound technology? Absolutely. And that's very kind of uh, an area of evolution right now as to how many needle aspirations are needed. And so generally, the larger the lymph node is that we can localize with the endobronchial ultrasound, get into a nice meaty area, so to speak, of the lymph node that looks abnormal on our ultrasound image and place the needle with on-site evaluation, which is a nice development that's also come along. We take a needle pass. That needle pass goes directly to our pathologist in the bronchoscopy suite. Mm. They smear it on the slide. They look underneath the microscope at the sample we just obtained, Mm -hmm. and they can tell us right there, yes, you have a diagnosis, or no, you don't. You need to take another pass. And so ultrasound in combination with the on-site evaluation definitely minimizes the number of passes we have to take, which minimizes the length of time for the procedure for the patient. It minimizes the amount of sedation that they have, and it minimizes probably the number of complications that can develop in the long run. 
Boy, what a huge step forward. Now, the actual technology, has this been a difficult thing to develop to get something that will work along with a bronchoscope and give the ultrasound images? Yeah, so the two main things that have limited it in the development within the chest in the lung and in bronchoscopy, one is the fact that ultrasound works by sound waves, and so you have to have actually a solid medium in order to have sound waves propagate through the chest. And mm-hmm. so uh, I guess a simple way to think about it, when you and I talk over a distance, you're not going to hear me a mile away, but our mammalian colleagues that live in the water, whales and dolphins, can communicate over miles because water is a solid medium. In the original development of ultrasound for human applications, it was mostly used in the abdomen, used in the soft tissues where you have solid mediums, which allows the air sound waves to go out and come back. Well, you could imagine if we're trying to do that in the lung, You've got air everywhere. Right, <laughs> so right. they had to somehow solve that problem. And the way they solved that problem was to develop balloons that go on the end of the ultrasound probes that then get filled with a saline solution. And so when the balloon blows up, it's filled up with saline, it allows for the balloon to touch the airway wall, which now gives you what we call ultrasonographic coupling, which means now the sound waves can go from the probe through what used to be air that is now the balloon with saline, and now we can see the lung outside of that. The second major kind of obstacle was the fact that bronchoscopes are pretty small. Mm-hmm. So the airway itself is probably in adults about 14 to 18 millimeters in most people. So bronchoscopes can't fill that whole space, and most bronchoscopes are about 5 to 6 millimeters in size. And so similar to, we look at all the other technology around us over the last couple of decades, they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. They had to wait for the technology to get to the point where ultrasound technology was small enough to fit into a bronchoscope. And so after those two main developments, solving the air problem and solving the size problem were developed, it was not until the last you know, three to five years, as I mentioned, that we had this available to us. And in, with regard to the first problem, is there a limit in terms of how deeply into the lung away from the bronchus that you can see because there is air in the alveoli? Absolutely. There's really two different probes that have been developed. One is what we call the central probe, and then there's a peripheral probe. And so the central probe is the one that has the balloon on it, and that allows you to see. You blow the balloon up with the saline. You can see around circumferentially all of the lymph nodes of blood vessels and so forth. When you get out further into the alveoli, whether you use a very small balloon probe or a peripheral probe, when you get out to that point, basically what you see is all of the air, and it's what we call the snowstorm effect. It just Mm. looks like you're driving through a snowstorm. Mm -hmm. However, if there's a small mass or a nodule farther out in the lung parenchyma and you get the probe near that, the snowstorm goes away and all of a sudden you see something solid. Ah, And then you can mark that spot with special markers that we have to then allow you to go, you take the probe out and you go back in with your biopsy forceps, your brushes and so forth in order to get a sample for a diagnosis. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health System on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today to discuss endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration is Dr. Andrew Haas, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center. So, Dr. Haas, that's the theory behind it and very interesting how it developed. What are the practical applications of this technology? Yeah, so what we're primarily using it for and what it's been extensively studied in its development in the last three to five years is really for lung cancer. You know, lung cancer is unfortunately, while it's not the most common cancer in the United States, it's the most fatal cancer in the United States and in the developing world. Mm-hmm. And so 
what we try to do is determine which patients are going to be eligible for surgery and which patients will not be eligible for surgery. We certainly wouldn't want to operate on a patient who has extensive lung cancer if we can identify it without putting them through an invasive procedure. Absolutely. So what eBus TBNA has allowed us to do is localize these lymph nodes in the middle portion of the chest, and if we can do an eBus TBNA, find that the cancer has spread to the lymph nodes, we've then saved that patient from going forward with a surgical procedure that wouldn't be indicated. Traditionally, these lymph nodes were biopsied with a procedure called mediastinoscopy, mm-hmm. which is when they make a small incision in the neck and then dissect down on top of the trachea to find the lymph nodes. In general, that is a fairly safe procedure. However, it does often require an inpatient hospitalization overnight, and there is about a 2% morbidity risk and about a 0.1% mortality risk. With EBUS TBNA, it's a same-day procedure. The patient goes home, you know, two to three hours after our procedure, and there's been really minimal reports of any type of complications from this procedure because, once again, we're visualizing what we're doing. And so the studies that have been done have basically shown that in experienced hands, and as I said, this is a relatively new technology, so for a lot of people, that experience is still evolving. Mm-hmm. But in those people that have had the technology and done the studies from the beginning, it really has the same ability to recover the lung cancer and stage lung cancer, just like mediastinoscopy. And so in some centers, it actually has replaced mediastinoscopy for lung cancer staging. What a major step forward. Let's say you're doing this and you biopsy a node and it's negative. How many additional biopsies are typically done in other areas of the mediastinal nodes? Yep. So we generally do what we call mapping. And so we know based on previous CT scans where the lymph nodes will be sitting. And so we'll just go from lymph node station to lymph node station along the windpipe into the space underneath the trachea, the subcarinal space to the hilum. And so we just kind of march our way along through all of those lymph nodes until we've sampled them all. And Mm -hmm. if they all turn out to be negative, then we have staged that patient as not having cancer in those lymph nodes, and they would go ahead, see a surgeon, and proceed forward with surgical resection. Is this technology also applicable to other masses or, or other adenopathy, Hodgkin's versus sarcoid, those type of things? Excellent question. So the nice part about this is that the samples that we obtain with the needle are actually fairly sizable. And so there's oftentimes patients, as you mentioned, with sarcoidosis or lymphoma or even some infections that can involve the lymph nodes of the chest. As long as we can see them with the ultrasound and can obtain a sample, we can make the diagnosis. And so sarcoidosis, there's been studies evaluating looking at using EBUS TBNA, and it's as good also, once again, as mediastinoscopy in obtaining a diagnosis. For patients with lymphoma, most lymphomas can be detected. The one exception I would say is that Hodgkin's disease, because a lot of the lymph node in Hodgkin's disease tends to be very fibrotic with lots of scar tissue in it, because of that nature, the needle just can't cut the lymph node and get good samples in order to obtain a diagnosis. Mm. So that would be the one exception of a lymphoma where we often do miss the diagnosis and the patient does have to proceed forward with surgery. And on occasions, we are able to, rare instances of tuberculosis or other infections that involve the lymph nodes, if we obtain a sample with EBUS TBNA, we can send that for appropriate culture analysis and obtain infectious diagnoses as well.
Are other interstitial lung processes where you'd like to get into a particular area, is that very amenable or that's not for this technology? Right. So this technology mostly is the EBUS TBNA specifically is looking just for the mid-portion of the chest, the lymph nodes, the masses that are against the main airways, the uh, trachea and the main stem bronchi. Mm-hmm. When you get out into interstitial lung disease where it's involving the parenchyma of the lungs, we wouldn't use this type of an ultrasound scope. We would use the peripheral ultrasound probes that I had mentioned previously. Now, sometimes patients with interstitial lung disease will have enlarged lymph nodes that we're suspicious of, and in that instance, we would use the EBUS TBNA to sample those lymph nodes and then use the peripheral ultrasound probe to find areas to get biopsies for the interstitial lung disease. And it is a newer technology. Is this something that is available just at the University of Pennsylvania or at most major university systems? Yep, I think it's rapidly evolving. So I think the manufacturer of the scope can't keep up with the demand. Uh (laughs) And so we do have it here at the University of Pennsylvania. Most major university medical centers will have it as well. But it certainly is finding its way into smaller academic centers and also into the community. And there are many courses now available to pulmonologists and others wishing to learn this technology where they can learn the technology and take it back to their hospitals. As you look ahead, do you see any newer applications or newer techniques using this technology? Absolutely. That's what I think we find to be the most exciting component of the EBUS TBNA. While the diagnostic component we've already discussed, I think, is exciting. I think if we could take that next level and use it therapeutically somehow, it would be even more exciting. And two things that we have in mind, one of which we're actively developing here at the University of Pennsylvania, is to use the samples that we obtained by EBUS TBNA in order to look at the molecular changes that are happening in the tumor cells so that we can then use that to direct the patient's chemotherapy. So, in other words, what we kind of uh, referred to as personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. So even though 160, 170,000 patients a year have lung cancer in the United States, not all those lung cancers are the same and not all of those respond the same to treatment. And so if we can get samples, do analysis on those samples and then say, this chemotherapy will work in this patient, this chemotherapy won't work in that patient, and tailor the therapy so that the patients get optimal treatment up front, we think could be a great advance for optimizing the patient's therapy. The other avenue we hope to pursue, and I'm sure others will be pursuing this as well, is then to use the EBUS TBNA to find the lymph nodes, to find the masses in the lung, and then directly inject chemotherapy into the tumor, directly inject gene therapy into the tumor, special viruses that might kill the tumor. In this way, now not only using EBUS TBNA for diagnosis, but using it more importantly also then to treat our patients going forward with novel therapies. I would like to thank Dr. Andrew Haas, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Pulmonary Allergy and Critical Care Division at the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center for talking to us about endobronchial ultrasound-guided transbronchial needle aspiration, a new technology that is already very useful diagnostically and has some potentially very exciting therapeutic uses in the near future. Very exciting stuff. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.